Welcome into episode five of Seven Innings Podcast. Holly Rowe was your host today. I am joined by National Player of the Year from Arizona, Jenny Dalton Hill, Jen Schroeder, the founder of the package deal, Amanda Scarborough, an All American from Texas A and M, and of course our resident gold medalist. We are without our failure leader today, Beth Moens, taking the week off. I am very nervous to try to fill her shoes because that's impossible. However. Beth did let me officiate her wedding this summer, so I feel like she will trust me to officiate this podcast in her absence. You're doing great, Holly. Right, ladies, here we go. If I mess up, please just raise your hands and say, Holly, you've messed up. <laughs> okay, let's start out with what we call the best week ever in college softball in the non-conference. So many great early season matchups. Really, let's start with the number one matchup. The number one team in the country, UCLA, with their first loss of the season, handed to them at home. The Texas Longhorns come into Westwood, take care of business in eight innings, and upset UCLA. Jen Schroeder, you were there in the crowd. Tell us what you saw. First and foremost, guys, the energy was incredible. Texas traveled so heavy. You know, a lot of them used to play at Oregon. So there was even Maggie Ballant in the stands. They had all their friends there. Mary Iacopo's family bought 150 tickets just personally to cheer her on in her home debut, although she plays at Texas. Uh, Megan Faramo and Miranda Ellish went head-to-head. UCLA scored first. You really thought it was going to go UCLA's way, and then Texas kept fighting. They went ahead, then Aaliyah Jordan comes up with a massive home run in the fifth to tie it up, and then all of a sudden the energy changed, and it was a stalemate up until the eighth inning when Texas goes back-to-back bombs led by none other than Mary Iacopo. Uh, Jenny, I know we were texting quite a bit during that game, and you really liked what you saw from both teams. I did. I loved watching the back and forth. It was just two hiccups in the circle by Faremo, both first pitch hit first pitch swings and home runs that put them ahead that second home run by Lauren Burke. But right now I think this is a great learning opportunity for UCLA. You want to lose early in the year. So you know how to rebound from that. So it's a great opportunity for Lisa Fernandez who knows how to combat these kind of situations to lead a fairly new pitching staff in the circle. So let's go to our pitchers because I thought this was a great pitching matchup. We saw both aces, Miranda Elish. Um, for the Longhorns, who has been terrific this season. She's 7-2 and two on the year. And, of course, Megan Farima, who has stepped in and been so unbelievable in the absence of Rachel Garcia. So, Smitty, Scarborough, tell us what you saw from the pitchers in that great duel. Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that Ellish only gave up four hits, but she issued six walks. So that's 10 runners on base in that category. The opposite for Megan Faramo, she gave up 10 hits, but no walks. So when you look at the equality of of hits and walks together or, or walks and hits per innings pitch, the whip, they were very, very equal. Um, they're both great pitchers and it's early in the year. You know that if you're going to win a World Series that they're probably going to have to get through each other at some point. But I thought it was a great battle for early February. Yeah, me too, Michelle. I totally agree, Holly. Um, and going back to what Jenny talked about late in the game when Lauren Burke and Iacopo hit those two home runs, well, Faremo had been throwing them hard inside to start almost every right-handed hitter. She loves throwing to her arm side. So Iacopo came up and then Burke, a lefty, came up. She looked for that arm side of the plate and they, and they were able to capitalize on it whenever she was kind of throwing them the same and getting them out. Texas was able to make late adjustments, which is something that they weren't doing in the three or four games before that with their offense when they didn't look too strong at the plate. 
So UCLA suffers their first loss of the season. This could be a matchup we see again at the Women's College World Series in June. The Bruins did rebound and get uh, four straight wins after that matchup. Texas had a few bumps after beating UCLA on their weekend that we'll get into in just a few minutes. But let's get to another monster matchup. Arizona taking on Alabama. They beat them not once, but twice. They beat them Friday 2-1, to Saturday 6-5. to Mariah Lopez was outstanding in the circle for Arizona. And Lexi Kilfoyle got some innings for Alabama. Uh, who was impressed with that? I really was impressed with Kilfoyle in the circle for Alabama having to step in Montana Fouts out for the weekend because of sickness. So Kilfoyle had to step up against Arizona, who really is known for their big bats. Arizona gets the first win in this mat in the second matchup. Alabama has the win going into the seventh inning. They're down to their last strike. And Marissa Schuld, an 0-2 base hit, keeps the momentum going. And then Malia Martinez, who was 1-for-16 before that at bat, comes in with the game-winning three-run home run. So for me, it was Arizona not giving up and battling back against a pitcher that they've had, that they had to face through both of those matchups. Michelle, what do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it for me, I always like to dissect the pitching. I think that Kilfoyle did an outstanding job um, as a freshman. I mean, that those are big shoes to have to all of a sudden jump into because Fouts is out and Goodman and Cornell, have, after having an incredible years last year, maybe just aren't as sharp as we saw them. So for Lexi Kilfoyle to come in and, and have the number of innings, she's got 48.2 innings already pitched for Alabama, which is significantly more than any of the other three pitchers. So you can see that Patrick Murphy is really leaning on the freshman. I, I think, again, it's going to pay dividends down the road. If, if, if the Tide can have all four of those pitchers really healthy in, uh, in May, I think it's it's going to be a huge coup for them. And Arizona, of course, you know, that, that team, they know how to hit. They know how to pitch. Mike Andreo always has a very prepared team. And anytime anyone can come in to the Rhodes house and walk away with some wins, it's well, impressive. Well, and, and I think, too, you guys, that maybe a couple of years ago or maybe even last year, when if Arizona were to go into Tuscaloosa and play Alabama, I don't know if Arizona wins those games. So it's kind of like the Arizona of late who's willing to fight and claw and know and expect to go into a road series and win versus an Arizona team that would kind of give up a little bit in those tight games on the road. So I thought that that was good to see for the history of Arizona and just um, being able to fight and win some big games. All right, let's move forward to the matchup with Louisiana. So Louisiana is a very interesting team, 14-5 and five on the season. They've played number seven LSU, number eight Oklahoma State, but two wins at number six Florida this weekend. I know, Amanda, you were very intrigued um, by what Louisiana has been able to do. Not only that, but they went into Texas and got a win as well. Yeah, well, when I saw them earlier in the week going up against Texas for that doubleheader, I talked to Jerry Glasgow, their head coach, and he said, you know, this is a really big week for us. This is going to be a week where I personally feel like we're going to be able to find our identity and really truly see what our team looks like and is capable of uh, because he compared his team to that of the likes of an NPF team. They have 13 or 14 transfers. They start eight or nine transfers at any given time. So it's just kind of like a hodgepodge of different cultures all coming into one team, just trying to figure it out. So I thought that it was very telling that at the first chance that they got to not just play a ranked opponent twice, like they had against LSU, Oklahoma State, and Texas, but they got to play them three times and come away with a series win. And two, man, they battled their butts off in that series. And that was a really good one too. Jen, I know that you watched a lot of that series as well. 
I am going to name Louisiana the feisty team of 2020. I don't think you can ever count them out of any ball game. And, you know, we're in week four, we're in March, we're starting to learn teams' personalities. And I just think Louisiana is going to be knocking on a lot of people's doors come end of May. Do we not call them the Raging Cajuns? Is that not their nickname? Oh, it. <laughs> I know. Mean, raging. That's better than raging. You want to add feisty to raging? Raging's way better. Yeah. They're sussy. Okay, let's go to another big story. Clemson, in their first year playing college softball, the new team on the block, they are 14-7 and under John Rittman. They started off the ACC play strong, 3-0 and in league play, but more importantly, they upset Georgia this weekend. Who has been the most impressed with Clemson and what this brand-new team has been able to accomplish? Well, I'm incredibly impressed with Valerie Cagle. Freshman, she's already earned Player of the Week honors in the ACC two weekends in a row, had some walk-offs, and she does it from both sides of the ball. She pitches and she hits. And I know, Amanda, in your time at A&M, that was your specialty, and that's not easy. What do you think about what she's been able to do? Yeah, well, what's cool about her, you guys, is that she pitches right-handed and she hits left-handed. She's a freshman. She's already gotten two, not just Freshman of the Week honors in the ACC, but Player of the Week honors. And I'll tell you what. So I tuned into their midweight game against a ranked opponent in Georgia last week. And instantly, I was captivated by the energy that their fans had for their team. And look, it's one thing for the fans to have energy, but it's another thing for the team to back up the fans and the fans to back up the team. Like, you as a team have to give the fans energy, but they're showing up in numbers to watch Clemson play. They are already bought in, and in that midweek game, Clemson got their first win over a ranked opponent, and then this week swept Virginia, their first ACC series ever, and they did outstanding. I think they're on a six-game win streak there at Clemson. Oh, and their unis are fire. (laughs) (laughs) Their ballpark is fire. Their unis are fire. They are on fire. And, um, you know, it's hashtag all in is the football catchphrase for Clemson. I think that we are hashtag all in for Clemson softball as well. The fans are really supporting them. All right, let's move to your lineup. Number two, I'm not as strict as Beth. I feel like we went too long in the first segment. So I'm going to pick things up a little bit here. (laughs) The rankings recap, ladies. Um, couple of people are surprised the rankings came out today and UCLA is still number one at 19 and one. UCLA still atop the rankings in the USA Today poll. I think some people in the country, maybe myself, were like, what? I still believe that head to head matters. And Texas comes in at number two after beating the Bruins this week. Um, I did talk to some spokespeople at Texas to kind of get their reaction to the polls that came out today. And they said they can understand because they've got three losses. They did drop a game to Fresno State after beating the Bruins, and they have a loss to Duke. So uh, are you guys surprised with who's number one in the conference and in the in the world right now? Well, Holly, listen, if you're going to throw it to us, you can't steal all our thunder, okay? No, I'm sorry. just going to reiterate. <laughs> Rookie host. Rookie host. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I come on. I just kind of jab you a little bit on that one. Um, You know, you bring up a good point, Holly, is that uh, they go in to Westwood. They go to UCLA. They beat UCLA. Granted, it was in extra innings. It was a tight game. Shouldn't they be ranked above UCLA? No, I don't think Texas should be. They do have those three losses, a little bit more inconsistency than what UCLA has shown so far. So I think for the ESPN.com poll that came out with UCLA 1, Texas 2, 
I like it. I think they're in a good position there. Washington in the three spot, they did beat Washington. So some people might say, well, then why didn't they jump over UCLA since they jumped over Washington? Um, I think those three spots are really good. Uh, Softball America did have them in the number one spot. You know, it's all... at this time of the year, it doesn't really matter. You know, like we always say in the sport, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It'll be more interesting to me to see when that June 10th poll comes out, who's ranked in that number one position. Yeah, good point, Michelle. But to this point, um, and backing you up, I think that UCLA should be number one too. They would get my vote. They've played 20 games and in 19 of those games, they by far look like the number one team. So they, to me, just had kind of one bad game against Texas where they didn't play their best, but love the way that they backed it back up on the weekend where they went, um, lossless where they won every game it was lossless a win <laughs> or a word uh, but they're well still they're still 19 and one and I think that they're still really the number one ranked team this season can I be a devil's advocate though because Texas at 20 and three they beat four top 15 teams this week I mean I know I know they have three losses on the season Fresno State they lost three to four Saturday they lost to Louisiana two to three and Duke zero to one but um, I just think when you beat four top 15 teams on the week, that that is huge. And I think, I don't know, I think if I was a voter, I might have put Texas number one. I agree UCLA's only lost the one game, but man, Texas did work. Unbiasedly, truly, I had UCLA as number one. I don't think you could justify jumping Texas over them when Texas has losses to Duke and then Fresno State. I was at that Fresno State game. So I was at the UCLA game, high energy, where Texas looked awesome. And then I was at the Fresno State game where Texas looked tired. They had just come off beating UCLA and Washington, the number one and number two teams. So to your credit, I mean, to your point, Holly, they had huge wins this week, but they don't look as consistent as UCLA has. Okay. I guess I'm the Janet Jackson person in the group that is like, what have you done for me lately? And lately, Texas looks pretty good. So, all right. I, I agree to disagree, but I don't know. I'm always like this in college football when I'm arguing in college football. Head-to-head has to matter, and I think the polls should reflect that, although I totally agree with the argument about UCLA has fewer losses. Okay, let's move on. Any other surprises uh, uh, in the poll? You know, Mississippi State moves up to 22nd. Um, LSU was one of the biggest leaders, jumping up to four. Anybody else with poll thoughts? I was really, I'm going to be the homer and say I'm great, grateful that Arizona was, they moved up two spots. Those road wins, they may have been against an opponent that was lower than them in the rankings, but they showed resiliency and winning at the Rhodes house is not easy. And so for me, I like that jump. Um, ULL up as well, um, up two spots. Florida State, win, losses against Baylor and Villanova, take them down three slots. So I see there's a lot of change, but we're starting to settle in. February was just a crazy month with everybody beating everybody. And so right now, as we head into conference play for most of these teams, we're going to see things settling in. All right. Texas did get five first place votes. UCLA had 15 first place votes. Quickly hitting on a couple of other things. No more undefeated teams. Oregon was 16-0. and They have a couple of losses, as you mentioned, to Louisville and Oklahoma State. They are now 17-2. and And Jay Mack, our great producer, I'm sorry to inform you, Stony Brook started out the season 7-0. and They are no longer undefeated. They lost three in a row. All right, let's keep moving quickly. Number three on your lineup, conference superiority. I know we love to pit the Pac-12 and the SEC 
taking a quick look around the country, the Pac-12 right now has an 80% win rate against non-conference teams. The SEC is second at 73%, the Big 12 third at 68%. And then how about the Big South at 66% non-conference wins? Who do you guys think is the strongest conference right now? Okay, I have a, I have a good little shag and sats, a little early for it, but I'm going to throw it in right now because I think it fits. And it's from Everyone the out of the box guys. Right? <laughs> yeah. Molly. Uh, okay, so this year through March 1st, right? So, I mean, one month of play, four weeks, there were 59 unranked teams that beat ranked teams. That's that's huge. Out of those 59 unranked wins, 33 of those came from against SEC teams. So 56% of upsets were against the SEC. And I think that stat is even more staggering than a win percentage stat. Great point. Yeah, and I, so I think a lot of the percentages, it also would have to, you'd have to almost look at the strength of schedule for all of these. I think, um, Holly, what really sticks out to me the most is that the Big Ten at only 51%. Um, you know, I think that's a conference again that we talked about, uh, you know, their ability. I was excited for them this year between Michigan, Northwestern, and Minnesota, I thought, wow, those teams have the ability to dominate, but they've all stubbed their toe just a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing that they're only at 51% uh, win percentages by conference. Yeah, I was so shocked by that too, Michelle. Um, that really surprised me because I think coming into the season, I personally thought that the Big Ten was going to be a little bit stronger this year. Uh, Minnesota coming off of a World Series appearance last year, I thought Michigan would be stronger. Wisconsin, a team that knows how to fight. Uh, but I also think too, what hurts the SEC is just that Alabama hasn't gotten off to such a hot start. And two, uh, a team like Auburn, who we're used to seeing in the top top 25 isn't in the top 25 anymore. So SEC to me, not as strong. I would give it to the Pac-12 up to this point. Shout out Utah jumping into the poll at number 25 That's at right. 12 and 2. That's the Utah, <laughs> Utah alum. Utah looks really okay, good, I, I get to- Utah looks good. Homer. I know. No, good job, they look Amy good. <laughs> I know. See, I like being I like being the host because then I can be the boss of who gets to say what. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like this. I like this. Come on, boss lady. All right. All, All right. right. Pants. Let's go to number four on our lineup card. How about the chase to become the next queen of home runs in the NCAA? Jesse Harper with two more dingers on the weekend is now up to 73 career home ones. She is 22 shy of Lauren Chamberlain's record. But more important, she is three home runs shy of Jenny Dalton Hill. What say you, Jenny Dalton Hill? How do you think she's going to break your record and what do you like about it? Well, let's be honest. I'm old. She should break it. The bats are more, are better. Um, you play for the best coach in the country. Jesse Harper, her swing is just so balanced. She's very quiet. She gets through extension and can Arizona, but the key for me with Jesse Harper is can Arizona find that key player to sit behind her in the lineup? The key to a prolific power hitter is not just how good you are. It's who hits behind you so that they don't just throw around you. So the key for me right now for Jesse Harper breaking that record, trying to get another 22 home runs is to find the key behind her. Palacios went down in their last game. And is hurt, and that's who was backing her up. So they need to find that key hitter behind Harper to get her there. Um, Smitty, we've seen players try to go for this record in the past, and sometimes the weight that settles on your shoulder, I think Lauren Chamberlain even admitted to having great weight on her shoulders when she was trying to break this record. 
Um, what have you seen from Jesse Harper? It seems like she's very comfortable so far. Yeah, she's a very relaxed hitter, I think, in uh, not just her physiology, physiality, but also her mentality, which is so Did you so just important. make up that word? What is physiality? <laughs> well, your physical, your, 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 her, her physical prowess. It's, uh, it, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like lossless, right? And yes. being undefeated. <laughs> we're making, this is a new podcast. We're making up words. Um, so, so, so yes. Yeah, so back to your question, Holly, absolutely. But I think if she does break this record, if she does uh, break Lauren Chamberlain's record. I almost need think it needs a little asterisk that she did it without Deja Molaipola in the lineup mm-hmm. protecting her, like you said, Jenny. I mean, it, it's an outstanding accomplishment when you have a couple of power hitters protecting each other. If Jesse Harper can do this with one of the best power hitters and her teammate leaving to be on the Olympic team this year, I think that that's just more credibility that needs to be added to, to Harper's run at this big, big, uh, you know, big title. Well, it's funny that you say big, Michelle, because last year at the World Series, when we got a chance to sit down with the teams, we spoke to Jesse Harper and we were asking her about her power and about where it comes from. And she told us, I swing big. I commit big. She's a self-proclaimed bad ball hitter. Um, she said that she even started eight years old hitting off of a high tee where she would put a tee on a bucket and work on hitting the up pitch. So I know that rise ball in the Haley Cruz video is like big talk uh, right now how to hit a rise ball. But going back to what Jesse Harper did when she was younger, she worked on hitting that tough pitch. And also, you guys, she talked a lot about working with Caitlin Lowe over visualization. And she said um, she'll pick a part of the field that she wants to try to hit it to. And her biggest tool that she says she has is going up and having a plan. Now, can her nerves and that pressure you talked about, Holly, get in the way of that plan? Because up to this point, she's been so good at having a plan. Can she stick to it and really get there for those extra 22? Best bad ball hitter. I think that sounds like a new Billie Eilish song. <laughs> bum, 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 bad ball hitter. I think we should write that. Okay. Let's, speaking of how to hit a rise ball, let's listen to this. This was a hilarious tweet from somebody who's become quite a social media sensation for Oregon softball. Haley Cruz on how to hit a rise ball. Keep in mind it's tongue in cheek. What's up, guys? This is Haley Cruz, Oregon softball center fielder, and I'm here to teach you how to properly hit a rise ball. First things first, I need you to forget everything you've ever learned about hitting and throw it out the window. Launch angle, never hurt it. Now, step into the box as usual, and then you stand up as straight as possible. I'm talking lockdown knees. Now, if you're a little shorter, you might need to go on your tippy toes. Next, I need you to choke up as high as you can on the bat. Extreme split grip is optional, but recommended. Next, you're going to raise your hands as high above your head as possible, like so. Now, you're going to close your eyes, because you have a better chance of hitting a rise ball with your eyes closed and with them opened. Finally, when the pitcher releases the ball, you are going to aggressively chop wood. I'm talking Paul Bunyan mode. Think Star Wars lightsaber. Now, finally, you're going to walk back to the dugout because you still popped it up in foul territory. Thank you. And she's hilarious. I don't know if you guys saw her um, TikTok superstar uh, video also, but if you haven't checked out Haley Cruz on social media, well worth a follow. Okay, let's go to number five on your lineup card. And this is going to be a special segment for our All-American Amanda Scarborough spreading the love. You feel very strongly that we have got to spread the love. Where are we spreading it to, Amanda? 
Um, we'll go to the Black Eyed Peas song, Where is the Love? I'm, I'm just like feeding <laughs> off of you right now, Holly. Um, <laughs> but in a season of so much parody, it's like we have to start talking about these smaller schools because they're starting to make some noise. So I don't know if anybody has any that they want to chip in. I have four or five that I wanted to talk about, but I don't want to steal the thunder here. Um, so I'm just going to go through them, a couple of them quickly. North Texas, of course, I live in Texas, so I'm giving my Texas girls a little bit of extra love, but Hope Trot wine is their pitcher. She already has 101 strikeouts and 67 innings pitched. She even had a game, you guys, where she had 21 strikeouts in one game. UNT has beat Oklahoma, beat Louisiana, and they only lost to Texas 3-2. to Also, Western Kentucky. They're 16 and four. They're on a six game win streak. They have Shelby Nunn and Kelsey Akey as their pitchers below a 1.7 ERA, uh, and Kennedy Sullivan for them hitting 467 with 25 RBIs. This is the last one that I'll say. I'll see if anybody wants to pop in here. Troy is 14 and four. They have only committed 10 errors in 18 games, and they're led by their pitcher, Leanna Johnson, who's already thrown 73 innings with a 1.44 ERA. Does anybody else have any that they want to suggest? If not, I have two more. I'm going to give some love to Loyola Marymount. Sorry, Jen, we'll we'll duke it out. No, they're in the same – my my team's in the same conference, so go for it. (laughs) Perfect. So Loyola Marymount with two big wins, a 1-0 win over LSU and a 2-1 win over Michigan. For me, those are big wins for a program that may not get as much love like you guys are all talking about. So for me, I love that they've they've had some big losses too against some lower level, lower competition, but those big wins bring them out to the forefront. Jen, what have you got? Okay, minus Fresno State. And the funniest part about this is, so they go, they beat Texas. Sure, then they, Washington takes it to them a little bit, but then they beat Cal State Fullerton 10 to 2. That was a huge win against a very successful Trish Parks. They were supposed to play LMU. LMU had a fantastic weekend beating Michigan, beating LSU. They canceled the game. They being Fresno State says, we got to get home. What I loved was that the LMU softball players were vocal all over Twitter, calling out Fresno State for canceling that game. So that's a rematch that I want to see against two teams that are up and coming. And of course, Fresno State just entered the poll at 25. All right. Good job spreading the love. I feel like that is a very loving accepting widespread segment. And Amanda, I know you had two more. Did you want oh, a little tiny more love spread? It, yeah, just just a little <laughs> bit. Um, Villanova, they're 14 and four. They beat Florida State and Baylor this weekend. And then also UCF, who just topped in or is past couple of weeks, hopped in the top 25 rankings, 16 and two with a 1.90 team ERA. Their game against Florida State got canceled last week because of weather. Was really looking forward to that one because they would have been tested. I can't wait to see them play some tougher competition to see what they look like at the end of the in upcoming March. They play, they play UCLA this weekend, oh. Amanda, on Friday. Yeah. Here we so go. they've got Florida State Wednesday, Michigan and UCLA on Friday. They've got a tough matchup Perfect. this weekend. All right. Evil laugh. All right. Good job spreading <laughs> all of that love, ladies. All right. Number six on your lineup card, if you're following along, fresh faces. We wanted to start talking about some of these freshmen in the country who are just taking the sport by storm. I'm going to start because I can with Kelly Lynch at Washington. She's my favorite because she's doing it in the circle. She's doing it with her bat. I know we've already talked about her quite a bit on this podcast, but Jen, I know you've been very impressed with Kelly Lynch and some of the records that she's already breaking in her freshman year in February. 
I'm incredibly impressed by her. And for what you said, Holly, because she's getting it done in the circle and at the plate, she is so clutch. Already 25 RBIs this season. But I think one of the biggest records that I'm impressed with is who she surpassed on the freshman all-time list up until this point. Two of UW's greatest historical hitters in Jamie Clark and Kristen Rivera, both of whom spent time in the USA, USA program, she already surpassed them in week four. They only had 20 RBIs up until this point, and she has 25. And then another player in the Pac-12, Maya Brady. Obviously, we could talk about the bloodline that runs through her veins, but she's hitting 356, 25 RBIs, already seven home runs, and she's getting it done behind Aaliyah Jordan. Here's what's going to happen, though. She's going to get tested because people are going to stop throwing to Aaliyah Jordan. And what will happen with Maya Brady when that happens? Jenny, what do you think? I think Maya Brady is just amazing. And when it comes to freshmen, I also like to share a little bit more about Valerie Cagle at Clemson. We've talked about her a little bit. But right now, as a freshman, she's a two-way player. So we call her that unicorn because she hits for hits for power and also throws well in the circle. She has the most innings pitched for Clemson with 75 and a third innings pitched. She's got 69 strikeouts on the year with a 2.6 ERA. But combat that with she's second in the country in RBI with 29, and she's tied for fourth in the country with nine home runs. She leads her team in batting average. So for me, Valerie Cagle stepping in in Clemson's first year is really setting the bar high. Well, I think another uh, great athlete we need to talk about is uh, Taylor Pleasance, the LSU shortstop. She's six foot tall. She's coming in as a freshman, filling huge shoes to be able to step in that position at 375 batting average, two home runs on the year, a slugging percentage over 600. Um, yeah, her offensive stats are awesome. They're staggering, but I love the way that, you know, she runs around the infield. She just has this innate ability to move, to be able to see the game. Uh, and that's a huge part of it. So a lot of really good freshmen out there that it's fun to watch. I couldn't agree more about Taylor Pleasance. You know, she spent the summer with Team USA and the junior team. Uh, I was just at a wedding this weekend with the LSU coaches, and I inquired about her because she's super impressive when you watch her. And they said that she is their favorite player they've ever coached, and I hope I'm not uh, giving out information. I was going to say, is wedding that. talk on the record, off the record? <laughs> I know, I'm and sure. And taken in. <laughs> But they showed me a photo on their phone that they pass around. So, I mean, I, I feel like I could, I'm okay saying this, but they created one of those presidential pins that say Pleasance 2020 because they love her, who she is as a softball player <laughs> and a person so much. And I just, I love that about her. Yeah. I think she is a stud too. Even a couple of weeks ago, I tweeted out, like, I would not be surprised if Taylor Pleasance got SEC player of the year of the year, not the week of the year once, if not multiple times in her career because she's so good. A couple, though, that I wanted to, again, spread the love of other fresh faces across the country. Uh, Aaliyah Pritchett is a pitcher for Baylor. Um, Baylor, kind of a resurgence this year. We talk a lot about their senior pitcher, Gia Radoni, who was injured last season, thinking, hey, maybe it's because Gia's not injured this season, that that's why Baylor is now ranked 18. I think Aaliyah Pritchett has been a great addition for their team. She has a 1.91 ERA. She beat Florida State and came in and got the win versus Arkansas in relief of Gia Rodoni. She's been a really, really important addition for the Bears. All right. All these great freshmen. What's so exciting is the star power just keeps getting bigger and better. And I think it really brings this fresh infusion 
um, into our sport and we love it. So great job, ladies. Way to spread the love. Introduce us to fresh faces. I just feel like there's a lot of positivity on this podcast today. Okay. <laughs> Let's move ahead to the weekend preview. And really, um, we're really excited because SEC conference play starts this weekend. There's a lot of softball on TV. We've got triple headers all day on the SEC network, but I wanted to start with the Auburn Florida matchup. I was able to catch up with Mickey Deans, the Auburn coach. Um, a couple of weeks ago and just get a quick check on, you know, this is his second and a half year in the program. What is the culture that he is trying to create at Auburn as they move forward into this season? We are getting ready to talk a little preseason softball with Auburn coach Mickey Deans. And uh, coach, just really, what are you expecting this season? Just kind of as you get ready to play in in just a few days. Well, we're, we just want to play. We've been practicing and practicing and practicing. I think they're getting a little tired of it. So it'd be nice to get out on the field and just see how good we are and see the things we really need to work on. It's interesting to me, you know, you've been here. Is this your third, second and a half season, I guess I would say. What what have you tried to establish as your culture that you feel like is now firmly established? Just, you know, there are different words you can use. Be a champion, be great. Uh, but just, just be a good person, you know, someone who is going to, when you're done here, you're going to go out and you're going to have an impact in your community and that that's what we're trying that's that's our culture you you've also got to win and build a winning culture and that all goes together what what do you think or what has stood out to you so far in you know kind of off-season conditioning and as you've gotten ready through winter ball and fall ball well the nice thing you know we're young but we do work hard we do work hard and so as a coaching staff we're going to be have to be a little bit of accepting and understanding of those early season mistakes and then you know the accountability of getting better throughout the season and so that's our anticipation and you know everybody came here for one reason you know i came here coach linty coach rojas the players they came here for for one reason that's win championships so i I don't want people to forget that okay give me a quick little pitching preview of what we could look for well, our, our pitching is very different. Right now we have three pitchers that we're using, and they're all three very different. You know, we got a power lefty, got uh, a right-hander who's an up pitcher, and a right-hander who's a down pitcher. Uh, and we're working on really establishing the uh, change-up for each pitch, uh, each pitcher. So that's that's been what we've been working on. Okay, good. It seems like you got all the quadrants covered. Like you want to have people who are different than each other, right? Yeah, you have to. I mean... You know what it's like to, to battle teams in the SEC and the Pac-12 and the ACC. Uh, the, the difference is you can't use the same game plan every time. You have to have a different game plan. And when you're successful, you stick with it for as long as possible. But you know it's going to change because it's a, it's a league where hitters and teams adapt. Love it. All right. Days away. Cannot wait for the season to start. Thank you, Coach. War Eagle. Thank you. And as you can tell, he's really excited. They've got new faces. They've got these pitching staff that is up, down, you know, up, high, rise balls, drop balls. They've got a great variety and versatility in their pitching staff. So who wants to talk about Auburn at Florida and that exciting matchup this weekend? Don't all speak at once. Michelle and Amanda, don't you guys have that yeah. series? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we're just not wanting to talk over each other. Michelle, you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I love the fact that Eugene Lenti is now an assistant coach with Mickey Dean. 
um, at Auburn. I think that culture is changing. There's, you know, that, that program's been through a lot of different things over the years, but uh, I'm excited to see that. On the flip side, you have the Florida Gators. They're trying to have a whole new identity because they, they no longer have Amanda Lorenz and Kelly Barnhill, at, uh, that dominant ace in the circle. So the Gators are actually pitching by committee. They're using four different pitchers consistently. Um, Lugo has the most amount of innings at, at 60. This is a Florida team that's hitting better. I think that once you have Kendall Lindemann hitting the ball out of the park, it just excites that team. And she's just been outstanding so far this year, five home runs. But how about Eccles? Charlotte Eccles has just been whoo, off the charts, seven home runs. She's got a 455 batting average. She's the one that I can't wait to see, Amanda. This is going to be, it's a single game, but this is going to be a lot of fun for us to call. Yeah, Michelle, and you know, the one thing that you always know about Florida and Tim Walton is that their defense is going to be really strong. So while they're pitching by committee and they might not have an All-American in the circle, their defense is always going to step up and make plays. Uh, going to Auburn, Holly, you were talking about their pitching staff. I-, I love this pitcher's name because it rhymes with my name, and that's not very often, but her name is Samantha Yarbrough. And she <laughs> was actually SEC co-pitcher of the week this week. She has only pitched the third highest amount of innings so far, but she made him count. She had three wins and she had a save her whip on the year Michelle is 0.93 and opponents are hitting 0.093 against her so while opponents or excuse me Auburn hasn't had a ton of success against top 20 and top 25 ranked teams they had a big win against Minnesota she was in the circle so are they finding a new arm that can go up against top ranked teams to get the wins I'm interested to see her throw well and Amanda what's interesting about Samantha Yarborough is the fact that you're right her whip is outstanding along with her name, since it's similar yeah. to hers. But if you look at her statistics in the 31 innings pitch, she's only given up nine hits. The reason her whip is as high as it is, it should be lower, is because she's had 20 walks. If she would even cut those walks in half, that whip would go down to a 0.5. So I'm excited to see her throw as well. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. I like that Michelle had sound effects for her. She's like, and she's hitting like, like, what was that sound effect? Are you guys just going to let that pass and not even comment on her vocal sound effects? At this <laughs> point, I thought it was technology, so I don't know what's real and what's a technical issue. So that I just heard like, that. she's hitting so, okay, let's keep moving on. So this is our weekend preview. We know it's a little SEC heavy, but that's because we have a lot of these games on TV. Auburn at Florida, 6 p.m. on SEC Network on Saturday, South Carolina at Georgia. Texas A&M at Kentucky, Arkansas at Alabama, Ole Miss at Missouri, and Jenny Dalton Hill. I know you'll be there. Give us a quick little sneak peek, Ole Miss, Missouri. So Ole Miss right now riding a six-game win streak and Mizzou coming in with some hiccups in their season, and they don't have the postseason. So we've been seeing them play with a chip on their shoulder. Larissa Anderson very happy that none of her players transferred when that ruling came down. It's neat to see the culture shift at Mizzou, but also some changes at Ole Miss. Right now an interim head coach taking over the reins of that program. So two teams right now really forming identities and trying to get themselves with some footing in the SEC. Okay, let's move ahead now to number eight on your lineup card. It is time now for Shaggin' Stats. Do I still no, need to do it that way every week? Holly, are you're we sick best. of that? No, <laughs> sick of it? Do I still need every to do week. it? Where are we at? <laughs> every week. Okay. Uh, my Shaggin' Stat, to get things started, I wanted to give a shout-out, spread a little love to Bridget Rooney of Cornell. She leads the nation in batting average, hitting 667. Bridget Cornell, or excuse me, Bridget Rooney, you are my Shaggin' Stat of the week. 
Good job. All right, uh, Holly Rowe, my shag and stat of the week is going to be the UCLA pitching staff. They have a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 11.4 strikeouts per walk issued, and that is outstanding. So only 15 walks on the season, 171 strikeouts. The next best, okay, is Bucknell at 6.6 strikeouts Per walk. So that means they are over five strikeouts per walk better than anyone else in the country. That's why they're the number one team in the U.S. right now. I love it, Michelle. My Chagan stat for this week goes, brings me back to my hometown in Lexington, Kentucky. Right now, the sophomore Kayla Kowalik, who was an all SEC freshman, is now tied for a single season record for triples in a year. She had five triples last week. She was nine for 17 in their tournament in Florida. And remember, she's trying to fill the shoes of last year's all, all SEC catcher, Jenny Shaper. So not only is she filling big shoes behind the plate, but she's bringing it with the bat with big RBIs and run production for Kentucky. Jen, what have you got? Okay, my shag and stack kind of goes coupled with you, Michelle, and UCLA's pitching staff, but I'm going to combine 2019 and 2020 because everybody is comparing Rachel Garcia with Megan Faramo. Uh, I think that people are curious and cautious of how many innings Megan's arm can withstand. So at this point last year, Garcia had thrown 48.2 innings in 23 games. Faramo already 30 more innings than that, almost over 70 innings thrown in only 20 games. So that scares me for the future. Did you just make up another word? I think it's our third made-up word of the podcast today, withstand. <laughs> yes. what I think you meant sustain and withstand. You know, I do that way too much. <laughs> I love it. We have three new words on the podcast this week. Did anybody see the social media video with UCLA doing a, a shoot um, on their field and Megan Faramo dropped down into the splits. <laughs> oh, have you seen the video? Val, Val, Miss Val. Their gymnastics coach that just retired. Yes. the entire video. It's fantastic. So I just think that she can withstand a lot of stuff because she's the most flexible pitcher in America. Okay, Amanda, your turn. Sorry, keep shagging your stats. Guys, I thought we were going to um, forget me and withstand me from Never. Um, okay, so this past weekend was uh, Texas A&M softball reunion, and I actually got to go because we had an off weekend, which was great. So my shag and stat Aww. is going to be about A&M. So last year – through 55 games, they had or hit 54 doubles. Already this year, in 22 games, they have hit 44 doubles. So they got a new hitting coach from FSU, Craig Snyder. He's doing a good job. They're hitting a lot of doubles. Awesome. And J-Mac, wrap it up. Listen, Amanda, no one cares about doubles. It's all about the home run, the long ball, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, J-Mac here, I just wanted to jump in for a little bit. Uh, my shagging stat, uh, we have our first three home run home run games of the season. Uh, that means girls that hit three home runs in a game. Enough of those doubles. Um, congrats to Selena Shaw from Tulsa and Haley Wolf from Evansville. But listen, Selena Shaw enters the game. No hits on the year. Her first hit of the year is a home run. Second hit of the year is a home run. Third hit of the year is a walk-off. So congratulations. No Shaw. way. And, uh, Super memorable. That's amazing. Those are my, uh, we need to send her a Shag and Stat shirt. That's awesome. Jay. That's really cool. Good job. <laughs> Okay. Um, I love how spicy this podcast Yeah, no, got. it's, it, 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 it was, it was positive until the end, and we're spreading the love until J Mac just punched me. <laughs> Come on. Sorry. 
It's all love. Yeah. Love you the most. Doubles don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine on our lineup is player of the week. I will get us started. My player of the week, I'm stealing from the Big 12 because she's also the Big 12 player of the week. Lauren Burke hit 458 in four games against top 15 teams for the Longhorns. She had a home run in the eighth inning to help Texas to a 6-4 win. And um, she is my player of the week. She wasn't even the starting lineup for the Longhorns when they started the season, and she has earned her way into the lineup. The Eugene, Oregon native took a leap of faith with Mike White, transferred to Texas, and now she is my player of the week. Yeah, Holly, I'm going to jump Holly, in and I say love it as Lauren well. Burke. I agree with, oops, sorry about that, Jen. I, well, I think no, we're Michelle both about to say go. Lauren Burke at the same time. So yeah, mine's Lauren Burke exactly. because they had the, they had the biggest week. So Texas did. So I, I go with, I go with that as well. No, I couldn't agree more. Echoing you guys with staining you guys. I don't know the definition of the word. So it's, it's <laughs> three to three to zero right now for Lauren Burke. So I feel like Amanda, who are you going with? You're going to be the tiebreaker or the, the deciding vote. Um, yeah, I'm feeling a little peer pressure. I I really I really like Lauren Burke. I watched her play last week. She was like unoutable for Texas. Um another word that was just made up. Um yeah, unoutable. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll I'll give it. I'll give it to I'll give it to her cuz she was unoutable. All right. We're going to wrap things up. I think we're having a few technical difficulties, but we hope you've enjoyed this. We 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 know Beth Moens. We could never replace Beth Moens. We hope that we have filled in admirably for her. Beth, who likes to think of herself as a doctor of words, a doctorate of words, she will be proud to know that we only <laughs> invented four of them in this podcast. So we hope you have um, really appreciated and enjoyed our unoutable with stain lossless physiology of 7 podcast job, today. Ladies. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy that.